Welcome to the C3 Church Watson podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Well, great to be here. Good morning, C3 Watson. Don't you have incredible pastors, Mel and Paul Marshall, heroes, heroes of mine and Beck and so many other people across C3. Not just C3, though. You guys are amazing um, pastors across our nation and we, uh, we honor you, we respect you guys. Why don't you give Mel and Paul a big hand? Amazing. How good's this side of the, like, this, is this like where all the under 30s hang out? <laughs> Clearly. Every church has one. This is it. So uh, I'm going to come sit with you just to pretend I'm still under 30 a bit later. But um, no, great to be here. And uh, as uh, Mel said, yeah, I am uh, here for, as, uh, as an IJM representative. I've been working with IJM for uh, almost two years. Some of you may remember, put your hands up if you remember, cast your mind 18 months ago. I was here uh, for your last Freedom Sunday, and uh, some of you may remember that. We got a chance to unpack a bit of uh, who we are. Some of you may not uh, have heard of IJM before. That's okay. I, I'm going to. He- I'm here to tell you all about it and uh, and share some some thoughts from Scripture as well. Um, I do want to say, uh, you know, some of the things we do talk about can be a little bit confronting. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're facing some of the real things uh, that are the consequences of, of, of a fallen world, right? And, uh, and so it's okay to feel a bit jarred by that. If you do need to step out, you're totally welcome to. I'm not going to be offended thinking it's just me. I mean, it might be just me, but I'm going to think, you know what, it's not me. It's maybe just you're, um, you know, processing some of the things we're talking about. So, uh, But if you do need to step out for a moment, totally fine. Um, I am from C3 in, uh, in Sydney. I've been there since I was 15, uh, which was three years ago. Um, <laughs> no, it was about, oh gosh, 18 years ago now. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, real honor to be here in, in, in uh, IJM role, but also amongst family, and it's, it's a real pleasure for me. Um, some of you, I understand, obviously don't know a bit about IJM. Some of you only know a little bit. And so I am going to play a video that helps just unpack a bit more of who we are and what we do around the world. Uh, so thanks, team. If you could play that now, that'd be great. It stares us to look beyond what is and imagine what could be. Yet, for the problems in our world, hope alone does not guarantee change. It takes hope in action to do that. Right now, millions of children, women, and men experience some of the worst forms of violence every day. Violence that forces families into slavery, locks women in rooms to be used for sex, exploits children across the internet and makes homes unsafe and abusive. You'll be slapped, you'll be kicked, you don't have the power to fight back. If you do so, you know that eh, the gravity will be more than what you were given before. This continues because perpetrators think they can get away with it. Our hope will not stand for this. For over 25 years, International Justice Mission has been strengthening justice systems by partnering with local communities to investigate crimes, rescue victims, convict criminals, and support survivors through healing. Sueño, las víctimas ya no estén buscando un sistema de justicia y estén sufriendo en esa búsqueda de justicia, sino que el sistema de justicia se acerca a ellos 
y las protege y las resguarda y las cuida desde las etapas tempranas. We're a team of advocates, lawyers, counselors, government officials, survivors and supporters who are building the future of protection. Unified in the hope that one day soon everyone will be safe and free. We are transforming lives of individuals and communities. All the work we are doing through casework, justice system strengthening, survivor empowerment, the advocacy, lives are being transformed. The more people we reach, the more transformation we shall see. This is a global movement of justice, prioritizing the protection of people from violence. Building a world where traffickers cannot enslave. Systems of justice serve every person in their communities, and hidden crimes of abuse and exploitation are brought to light. So that survivors can not only hope for safety and freedom, but expect it. That judge immediately said he's proved guilty. I was scared before, but when he was taken in, I said, wow, I feel free. I felt I had got that freedom, total freedom. If millions of people come together and make the dignity of the individual the preeminent issue and protect their bodily well-being and their mental well-being so that they will not be exploited anymore, the entire world would be a safer place for everyone. To those who are unified in the hope that one day soon, all people in the world could be free from violence, together, Let's courageously engage in the work of justice today and relentlessly move toward a safer tomorrow until all are free. Proving hope in action is the most powerful force in the world. And with it, justice is unstoppable. Amazing. Well, there you go. That uh, gives you a bit of a snapshot about who we are. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, as, as, as it mentioned, you know, we're the, we're the largest anti-slavery organization in the world, but we don't just tackle uh, slavery, we tackle all forms of violence against the poor. There are, uh, you know, 8 billion people in the world today, uh, 5 billion of those, so 5 in 8 people live in what we call a justice gap. That means that they live outside of the protection and the benefits of a working justice system. Can you imagine being in trouble, um, you know, someone trying to get into your home and not being able to call the police? And not, not, not being, having to fend completely for yourself, living outside of a protection of a working justice system. Five in eight people in our world face that every single day. Um, and, and people in poverty are uniquely vulnerable uh, to everyday violence, uh, slavery being one of the worst forms of violence against the poor. There are um, just num numbers have just been re-released. There are now 50, bi uh, 50 million sorry, people uh, today held in some form of slavery or another. One in four of those are children. Slavery, uh, you may not know, can take a whole, a whole bunch of different forms. It can look like forced labor in a brick kiln or a textile factory in, in South Asia. Uh, it can look like being on a Thai fishing vessel, uh, you know, fishing for fish. And so you think about some of the fish we eat, canned tuna, all these kind of things. That could easily have come uh, from somewhere where there was slavery present. Uh, it can look like people being sec um, trafficked for sex uh, across the borders of Eastern Europe. You think now, with obviously the conflict happening in Ukraine, this is something that uh, has, been, has had a rapid rise uh, in the last 18 months where 
because of because of obviously the war, uh, there are a whole bunch of women and children, in particular, crossing the borders out of Ukraine into surrounding regions and becoming particularly vulnerable uh, to being trafficked. Where people are literally disguising themselves, traffickers are disguising themselves as um, as an aid agency or someone who's wanting to help shelter these refugees, and instead they're busing him to places uh, to be abused for sex. And so this is a real issue where uh, where there is vulnerability, uh, there is uh, people are being susceptible for, for being trafficked. Um, one of the worst forms of slavery is, is, is quite a new form of slavery, which we call OSEC, which stands for the Online Sexual Exploitation of Children. Uh, and so what this looks like is, is children as young as two or three, uh, all the way up to 18, uh, being live-streamed, the, the abu- their abuse being live-streamed over the internet uh, for other people's benefit, where people are literally paying to watch and direct the live stream of, of their abuse. Um, unfortunately, many, in many cases of that, the, uh, the perpetrator being a, even a, a mother or a father or an uncle and auntie, a close relative who is being the perpetrator who is um, obviously streaming that and selling their own kids uh, for this kind of payment. Um, the worst part about that is 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 because often we think you know that some of these issues are, are far off in another country and are out of sight, out of mind, right? This, this that one in particular, Australia is the third highest consumer of OSEC content in the world. So this is very close to home to us, and something that as the Australian Church, God is calling us to uh, to speak into and be 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 a, a light for. Um, and so what does I, IJM do is we, we, number one, obviously we rescue and we help restore uh, victims of, of this kind of abuse and slavery. Uh, we, we help to bring them out and we work with local government and partners to, to rescue, and, but, but not only rescue, actually rehabilitate and restore and bring them to wholeness and to healing, a really important part of what we do. Um, but then we actually work alongside investigators, lawyers, uh, judges, help train them to actually bring these cases through the courts and bring conviction. And this is equally important. I'll tell you why. Because the reason why criminals think they can get away with this is because they don't fear being caught or punished. The issue is not that the laws don't exist. The issue is that the laws aren't upheld. And so when we can work with governments to increase the capacity of their law enforcement, increase the competency and the training around uh, evidence gathering and and, and taking these through the courts, we actually set a precedent of conviction that then deters other criminals from committing the crime in the first place. Um, And and so we work to strengthen those justice systems so that criminals now fear prosecution and therefore the crime can decrease. Uh, as Pastor Mel said, in the last 18 months or 12, 12 to 18 months, we've seen about 10,000 people rescued directly out of slavery and violence, which is amazing, which takes our, our total to about 85,000 over the last 25 years. But I will, I will let you on on a little secret. We wish, we wish those numbers didn't exist. We wish we didn't have to rescue anyone because there was no one left to rescue. Our ultimate goal is not just to keep rescuing, it's actually to work within those systems, strengthen the justice systems, disciple nations, bring them to a place of wholeness where rescue becomes redundant. That's the goal. That's the hope we have, that God has given us an answer and he has called us as his people to be a part of solution of restoring the dignity of people, restoring uh, the safety and the freedom of people around the world. Amen? That's our goal. And you know... um, the creation story gives us an interesting glimpse into God's heart, right? We see God's original intent for humanity. When he creates the world and he creates this beautiful picture of what the Bible calls in Hebrew, shalom, this place of peace and wholeness and flourishing, God's original intent for humanity. 
It also shows us this cornerstone truth within biblical justice uh, of, of the image of God imprinted on every single person. That every person, no matter their, their race, their gender, their background, whatever, uh, however they've come, wherever they've come from, that every single human being on the face of the planet uh, bears the, what we call the Imago Dei, the image of God. They bear the, 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 the fingerprint of God on their lives and therefore have immense and intrinsic value that God cares about bringing them to a place of wholeness and freedom. Very quickly that we know, obviously, in that story, that picture of Shalom got broken pretty quick, right? Through human pride and the self-serving will, uh, Adam and Eve chose to trust themselves over trust God, and therefore they gave birth to sin, and they gave birth, therefore, to injustice. Injustice is primarily outworked in the abuse of power. When there's a sense of power, whether it's via a relational power or whether it's either a teacher or a teacher or a parent or a coach or a guardian or a police officer, some form of power. Uh, but even there's a whole bunch of different forms of power that we can abuse for our own benefit, right? And so that abuse of power is the most often uh, expressed way that injustice takes place. I was... Um, Recently, uh, only a few, two, two or three weeks ago, I was in the city of Cebu in the Philippines. I got some photos uh, from that trip. Uh, it's me in the middle, obviously on, on the right, the, uh, the less good-looking good one of those two in the middle there. And I was with this amazing man, uh, Constable, uh, sorry, Patrolman Jerome, his name is. Uh, he's 32, and I'm 32, so I, I got a photo with him. I'm like, this is nice. Um, and on the right there, you see, uh, that's the photo I took as we were walking into Lapu Lapu City Hall of Justice, which is a region within the city of Cebu. Um, and this, this patrolman is, is on the Filipino National Police and, and is on a task force that deals directly with uh, these OSEC, these online sexual abuse cases. Uh, and I had a pleasure of meeting him and another number of other partners on the ground in Cebu. Um, and we one day, uh, right before this photo was taken, we took a drive through Lapu Lapu uh, region within Cebu, which is a, a common hotspot for OSEC cases. Uh, and it's, exact, it's, it's actually where a young man named Aaron who was two years old when Philippine authorities rescued him from his father. Two years old. I'm a father of a three-year-old and an eight-month-old. And so this, this hits pretty close to home for me. Um, and and we, we, we drove past the house. Literally, um, we were pointed out the house where Aaron was rescued from, from his own father as, as a two-year-old child, where uh, he was being sexually exploited. Him and another uh, number of other young people within uh, this, this town were being exploited, and, and those images and content was being distributed to hundreds of people around the world who were paying uh, to see it. German and national police both discovered the evidence of, of Aaron's father, Derek, who was a German national living in the Philippines. They found this content and evidence, and they worked with the Filipino police, like, like this uh, guy, Jerome, here, to actually uh, locate some of these victims. And on July, so June 24, 2019, two of Derek's victims were rescued. And, uh, and because of that operation, then they led them to find out the location of where Derek was actually being housed, along with his son Aaron and Aaron's brother and a few other victims as well. And all of them were rescued and Derek was arrested on July 9th, 2019. Isn't that amazing? And so for me, that was amazing, you know, driving through this, the, the, this area and literally being pointed out the house where, where, the, where these kids were being held and, and literally where people in our own country are paying to watch the content from this house. 
hits pretty close to home. See, at its core, justice is about making things right. That word justice gets thrown around a lot these days as maybe a lot of different connotations with it. You might think about, uh, you know, getting justice in a criminal case. You know, we, we, you know the people, we, we demand justice and it almost gets into this venge, vengeful territory, right, where, where it's justice, it's this insatiable sense of justice. You might, you might think about the, the word social justice, which, which gets thrown around a lot, about the idea of um, obviously uh, caring for the marginalized in our own community and, and this sense of social justice. You might think of the Justice League and this kind of vigilante justice in in the superhero movies. Whatever your term of justice, um, really it's biblical justice, God's version of justice, which is the only truly form of justice that brings long-lasting change. You see, what Jesus accomplished on the cross was the only thing satisfactory to bring true restoration and redemption to our world. Let me show you why. When Jesus died on the cross, he did two things. One, he reconciled the brokenness between man and God. He, he dealt with the root of injustice, which was the broken relationship with, between us and our Father. He dealt with the sin issue. He dealt with the origin of injustice. He dealt with that, 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 that broken relationship between heaven and earth. And so that's what Jesus did. He dealt with the root of the problem, which was sin. But then also he dealt with the the broken human relationships, the fruit of injustice that comes with that as well. And so it's not just about fixing systems and restoring um, the brokenness in our society. It's actually dealing with the inner issue as well, which is the sin issue. And so only in the cross, only in the finished work of Jesus, do we have a complete and full picture of restoration and redemption for our society, where both our relationship with God is healed, but also our relationship with others are healed. The vertical axis and the horizontal axis of the cross, of loving God and loving others. That's the only way this thing gets healed. The gospel points to a reconciliation of heaven and earth under Christ. And we have been called, how amazing, as representatives of that restoration. We've been called as reconcilers, as people who represent the reconciliation of God in our world. You see, I have found, I don't know about you, but I have found that the currents of the kingdom of God, anyone been in a rip? I know there's, I don't know if there's many rips in Canberra. Um, I live on Manly Beach, so there's a lot of rips. But I will just say this. I'm a, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I, I always want to encourage you. I am a big Canberra fan. I really thought that would get more... Um, you know, you live in Canberra, right? You can get excited. I'm a big Canberra. I love Canberra. I'm, Canberra's amazing. I'd move here. But anyway. I the currents of the kingdom of God flow towards the world and not away from it. You know, often in church life, it can be almost implied that, that, God's, that the kingdom of God is about escaping the world and getting into heaven or getting away from darkness and into light. Can I tell you, that's, that's not the biblical picture. The picture is that the, 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 the kingdom of God flows towards the world. It runs towards the world to influence, to bring salt, to bring light into darkness. That, that's the picture. You see the picture of the river of God in Ezekiel 47, that it flows from the temple to the sea. Not the other way around. It's not about trying to get the river back into the temple. It's the, it's the river flowing from the temple into the world. See, when we receive Christ, it's not about us getting into heaven. It's about heaven getting into us. And is that so true? Often how we, how we pray, we're praying, God, get, you know, praying for praying, people get into heaven. God, God never taught us to pray that prayer. 
Do you know the prayer he taught us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the prayer is not for people to get into heaven. It's actually for heaven to get into people. That's our prayer. We're not just waiting for a world to pass away. God's actually wanting to use us to bring redemption and reconciliation now. Freely as we receive, freely we give. I love the last uh, line in that video. It says, hope in action is the most powerful force in the world. And we have a hope, don't we? We have a great hope. And can I tell you, it is not just an eternal hope. It's not just a a long-term, one day, this will happen hope. You know, even Mary and Martha, they, they, when their brother Lazarus died, they kind of, they it was a bit of a cop-out where they said, you know, one, I know Jesus, one day you are the resurrection. You know, he, just, he, stopped, he said, hey, stop, stop. I am the resurrection. And he's standing right in front of him. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He's trying to constantly reorient us to now. God wants to do something now. Um, this amazing scripture in 2 Corinthians 3, it says this, Therefore, since we have such a hope, and what a hope we have, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold because we have such a hope. Do you know it is impossible for darkness to enter light? I don't know if you think about these things very often. I, I like to ponder um, you know, some of these things. And, and it's literally impossible. I don't have a physics degree, but from what I can tell, it is impossible for darkness to enter light. Because darkness is nothing in and of itself. It is an absence of something. The only way darkness is transformed is not to enter light, but for light to enter darkness. It's the only way. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us, because the world couldn't enter heaven by itself. And so therefore, light entered darkness. Jesus came in the middle of darkness as the light of the world. He disrupted the darkness. And he calls us now to be that same light and to disrupt darkness, to move towards brokenness, not away from it, to move towards suffering, not away from it, to move towards pain, not away from it. He calls us to disrupt darkness the way he did. And there's an amazing story you may have heard of called The Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, you may have heard it, you may not have, but I'm going to read it here and just uh, share a few final thoughts before we finish. In, uh, in Luke chapter 10, it says this, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. First mistake, don't try and test Jesus, you'll get set up. And he says, Teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, uh, what, it is, what is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going from the town from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Verse 33, but a Samaritan traveled as he traveled, came to the place where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him to bandage his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of the robbers? The expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. What an amazing picture, hey? Amazing story of someone who moved towards brokenness, not away from it. I want to share just two thoughts. First one is about our eyes. And if, I, if, if, you can, if you can leave with anything, I, I want you to, to think of two things, your eyes and your hands. Your eyes and your hands. First of all, your eyes. This man did not look away. He didn't look away. Even if it was hard, he didn't look away. My question is, what do we, how do we react when we see brokenness? When we see suffering, when we see things that are not right, where there's an injustice, where there's a sense of pain or, or something's not quite right, how do we react? How do we see it? Do we see it? Do we keep looking or do we look away? We are called to keep looking at it, to not look away. One of my favorite scriptures, um, the guys don't have it, but in 2 Corinthians 5 it says, From now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Or another translation says, From now on we see no one from a worldly point of view. Isn't that amazing? So often we can look with our own human understanding, our own uh, finite kind of perspective, and, but God's actually calling us to see from heaven's perspective. When we see pain, when we see darkness, when we see brokenness, how do we see it? Are we looking from God's point of view? What are our eyes doing? And the other thing about our eyes is, is the Samaritan, this good Samaritan, he didn't focus on the past. He focused on the present. Isn't it interesting when we look, when we sometimes when we see things that are broken, so often we question why it's broken to determine whether it's worthy of fixing. So we kind of try to figure out the cause. Like, why is this person suffering? Like, is it their own fault? Did they put themselves in this mess? Did they make bad decisions? Did they not go to school? Did they not do this? Did they not do that? And we try to figure out the background to try to figure out whether they're worthy or deserving of the care that we could provide. It's how we see this. How do we see this situation? This man, he didn't ask questions like, oh, well, did you pick the fight with these robbers? He didn't ask any of those questions. He just saw the need and he cared without trying to determine the cause. And the final thing is he didn't regard the cultural lines. He didn't see, he was a Samaritan. If you know anything about the Samaritans, they were not exactly on good terms with other parts of the society. But he didn't care. He, that's why he was the good Samaritan, because all the Samaritans weren't that good. But they, he, he, he disregarded what, what, how he could view this situation. He didn't view it through race. He didn't view it through social dynamics or, or cultural barriers. He didn't see any of that. He saw a need. He saw the darkness, and he moved towards it, his eyes. Second thing, his hands. What then did he do with what he saw? Well, he took responsibility. See, I find that the first mile is empathy, but a second mile is action. There's no point having empathy if we don't do anything with it. We don't wait for someone else. It's easy to think someone else will carry the cost, but this man didn't. And I found that the most sustainable way for us to love our cities, love our people, love the brokenness in our world, is to start just doing something by ourselves, just with us. It starts with the one. That's the most sustainable way is not wait for an organization, not wait for the church, not wait for any, just you move towards it. You take some responsibility that we all individually go, you know, what am I going to do? And then collectively, there's a movement that takes place where light disrupts darkness. He did what no one expected him to do. No one. 
No one expected the Samaritan man to cross the road and help this man. No one cared. No, no one would have expected it. He could have easily gotten away with continuing on like the others. He didn't have the title. He didn't have the status. No one was expecting him to do it, yet he did it anyway. What a movement it would be if we all did things that were unexpected. That the kindness we showed, the, the move towards darkness we showed was unexpected, yet we do it anyway. That would be amazing. If I can grab the band back up, uh, appreciate it, guys. Thank you. And so I want to I leave you with this, with this question, is, is how can you individually, how can you start to take steps to move towards the brokenness in your world? It could be in your own world. It could be a neighbor. It could be a, uh, something in your own world. Or maybe it could be something bigger like, like getting closer to the work of IJM. There is a whole bunch of great uh, partners. You guys are, are, are partnering with, with your Beyond program, which is amazing. And so I encourage you to explore some of those ways you can not look away from it, but move towards it. And, uh, and with IJM particularly, there's a few ways you can do that. As Pastor Mel said, her and Paul are what we call freedom partners. It's really just a simple way you can engage with us on a regular level uh, on, in two primary, ways, two, two primary ways. One is, is to pray. And I don't say that lightly. Sometimes it can be a bit of a cop-out, like a bit of a token. Like, yeah, please pray for us. We really, we really appreciate your prayers. We really do. When, when I was over in, in Cebu a few weeks ago, um, as we were driving through this town, I don't know if you've ever been into um, an environment or a community like that where it's a rabbit warren of little streets and winding alleyways and, and all these little houses, and it is almost impossible to navigate unless you're a local. And these investigators would regularly say how they're trying to, like, finding these kids is often like a needle in a haystack. You're, you're going through and, and trying to work out, and often they would, they would lose their way, or they would, you know, they would be notified, you know, the, the uh, perpetrators would be notified that a rescue is happening, so they move the kids, and, and they can easily lose the kids in the rescue operation. And, and so often they look to God and go, God, help us, navigate us, guide us here. And so often, miracle after miracle takes place where there's things lined up and they find these kids like a needle in a haystack. Can I tell you, your prayers matter in that moment. They, really, they, feel, they feel the weight of it. So don't, don't think it's a cop out to pr- please, please pray, please pray. But also figure out if there are ways you can move on a financial level, that obviously will help as well. And so our Freedom Partnership is a $35 a month um, monthly subscription, which you can keep giving towards the work we do and, and receive updates as well. So if, if you do want to do that, there is a QR code on the screen the guys will put up. Um, we'll have it out there in the foyer as well. You can come and ask any questions you've got, but um, feel free to avail yourself of that. But let me pray for you right now. Why don't you close your eyes? Lord, I thank you, Jesus. You call us. You call us, Lord. You call us not out of guilt, not out of obligation, but out of love. Lord, that you compel us by your love to see the world we're in, not to move away from it, not try to run away from it, not try to escape it, Lord, but to move towards it. We're praying you'd stir our hearts, you'd open our eyes, show us ways that we can move towards the world that you love, the same way that you move towards us, Lord, that we want to move towards the world as well. We just surrender our hearts. Thank you for this incredible church and the impact they are having and will continue to have in this city and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you in church again this weekend. To find out more about our church, find us online at c 3 churchwatson 
www.cloudformation.com.au.